Starting at verse 36, Thomas is going to read that section, so Acts chapter 15, verse 36. In the Plain Bibles, that's page 784, and the fancy ones, it's 1,111. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take them, take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. He came to Derbe and Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and and Inconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along, along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region in Phygera and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Magia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Magia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once and to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district in Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Uh, Well, let's pray as we uh, come to think about God's word. Uh, Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for your word that it breathes life into our our lives. Father, we uh, pray that as we consider it now, that um, by your Holy Spirit that you would be moving us, that we would understand it more clearly and uh, that we would um, uh, apply it in our lives. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. A few months ago, I was cleaning up my home office when I found an old year planner. Uh, you know, one of those old-fashioned paper types, ones you know that you, uh, you you stick on the wall using blue tack. I, I came across that, and it was it was filled with dates and events which I had planned, uh, and I'd planned those so that I can see what's coming up in the days, the weeks, and the months ahead. But it never made it onto the wall because this was my wall planner for the year 2020. Um, And they were plans which by early March were in absolute tatters. Now they say that uh, plans are nothing, planning is everything. 
And I think it's wise, don't you? It's wise. Because planning is good. Um, because planning uh, helps us to think about the future, helps us to, uh, uh, to, to make goals, to set goals, and to make progress towards those goals. Planning is wise. But we can't trust in our plans, can we? Because things can change. Our circumstances can change. Life can change. And if that's true of life in general, it's also true of life as we seek to serve God. Uh, in our plans to, uh, to strengthen other Christians and to uh, encourage each other, in our plans to tell others about Jesus. Now, um, today we start a new sermon series on the book of Acts. And it's going to be a little bit of an unusual series, a bit different to normal, uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, firstly, we're not starting at the beginning of the book. Um, instead, we're, we're jumping into Acts uh, just over halfway through the book. And secondly, um, occasionally during this series, we're going to move away from Acts and uh, we're going to dip into some of the um, letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote to churches that we encounter uh, in this part of the book of Acts. And then that'll help us to uh, see where those letters fit in. But more importantly, uh, it's my hope, it's my goal, um, it's my plan that uh, as we do this, that we're going to be encouraged uh, in sharing the gospel ourselves and uh, we're going to, as we see how the gospel spread in the first century and how the gospel impacted and changed the lives of many people. So that is the plan, ironically. Now, before um, jumping in uh, at Acts chapter 15, I think some context will be pretty helpful, don't you? Um, earlier on in Acts chapter 13, uh, the Apostle Paul was based in uh, the church in the city of Antioch, uh, Antioch in the country of Syria, uh, which was uh, about 700 kilometres north of, Jer of Jerusalem. You can see that on the map that's printed for you uh, in your bulletins there. And Paul had been preaching there uh, with um, his co-worker Barnabas uh, in that church in Syrian Antioch uh, for about a year, teaching and preaching, um, ministering to the congregation that had been established there. However, in a, uh, a special case of guidance, the Holy Spirit um, said that they should leave Antioch and that they should um, preach the gospel in other regions, in, in uh, regions which, uh, where the gospel had not yet been, in regions where people had not heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they left Antioch, um, Paul and Barnabas. They left Antioch and in Acts chapters 13 and 14, they preached the gospel firstly on the island of Cyprus. And you can see that there on your maps and your bulletins, the island of Cyprus. Uh, and then they sailed into um, part of... Uh, um, what, what was known as Asia Minor, um, think uh, modern-day Turkey. And uh, they, they evangelised, they shared the gospel, and people became Christians 
in that particular part of Asia Minor. Uh, this was a great journey. Um, it's often described as Paul's first missionary journey. It was a great journey as many people, um, particularly uh, Gentiles, heard the gospel for the first time and they believed the gospel. And so churches were established. And then Paul and Barnabas returned uh, to Antioch. And that's where we commence our new series. That's the context. Uh, so if you haven't got your Bibles open, it would be helpful to have it open at Acts chapter 15. And uh, let me read to you from verse 36. So remember, they're now, they've done the first missionary journey. They're now back uh, in the church at Antioch. And uh, we read in verse 36 that some time later, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now, that sounds like a plan, as they say. And it's a good plan. A good plan to uh, not just leave those new Christians uh, to fend for themselves, but to, to go back and to uh, teach them and to encourage, see how they're going and teach them and encourage them uh, in their relationship with God. And Barnabas agreed with the general plan. But there was one detail which Paul and Barnabas um, did not agree on. And that was the detail, the question of who should they take with them uh, on this second journey. You see, uh, one of their companions on the first journey had been a young man by the name of John. That's his Jewish name. Uh, he also had a Roman name, uh, which was Mark. And so sometimes he's referred to as John Mark. Uh, often he's referred to as Mark. So John Mark, uh, this young man, had been one of their companions on their first journey. However, partway through that journey, uh, John Mark left them and he returned to Jerusalem. Now, uh, we don't know the details specifically uh, about why he left them, but preaching the gospel, especially preaching the gospel in new regions, is difficult work. It's, it's dangerous work. And after John Mark left them, Paul and Barnabas were left um, uh, just to, to preach the gospel, and in doing so, they suffered persecution. They were persecuted for preaching the gospel. And so it may have actually been helpful if John Mark had been with them uh, during that time. And so the question was, uh, should they invite him again to come with them? And in uh, chapter 15, verse 38, Paul's answer to that question is no. And that we shouldn't invite him to come with us again. It's not wise. Because when the stakes are high, you need to have a reliable team. Um, however, Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, well, he's the guy who saw potential in uh, this young man, John Mark. And, uh, and he, was, he was right. Uh, he was right. I think both men were right, in, in fact. Uh, it was right not to take John Mark with them but it was right also that John Mark had potential. Mark saw the potential. 
John Mark even had the potential to later on in life write one of the four Gospels. It's that Mark that we're talking about. But uh, Paul and Barnabas both felt strongly about their positions and so in verses 39 to 41 they, they separated. They decided to go uh, to form two ministry teams instead. Um, Barnabas uh, took John Mark back to Cyprus where they had, as I mentioned, visited on that first missionary journey. And in a sense, that was a safe place to take John Mark back to because when they had been in uh, Cyprus the first time, the, um, the chief person on the island, the proconsul, uh, had actually heard the gospel and become a Christian. So the, the, the key man on the island of Cyprus was now a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it wasn't unreasonable for um, Barnabas to take uh, John Mark there to to Cyprus, Uh, whereas Paul, on the other hand, recruited a man by the name of Silas. And uh, uh, Paul and Silas, they travelled north from Antioch uh, through Syria with a plan to travel then westward and to visit the, the other places where Paul and Barnabas had been Uh, on the first missionary journey and established those churches uh, in that uh, mainland area. And it was in doing that that in the city of Lystra, Paul recruited another team member. Let me read to you that section again, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now, um, earlier this year uh, in church here, we um, preached through the book of um, 2 Timothy, uh, the letter of 2 Timothy. And uh, you recall that that was a letter which the the much older Paul uh, wrote from a prison cell in Rome uh, where he fully expected that he would be executed And he wrote it to his very dear and reliable friend, didn't he? And who was that? Well, obviously, that was... This is where that relationship started. This is the beginning of that friendship. And the local Christians, um, they spoke well of Timothy and Paul was confident to invite him uh, on the journey. But notice Timothy's biracial background... His mother was a Jewish Christian. Uh, We know from 2 Timothy that her name was Eunice. Uh, She was a Jewish Christian, but his father was a Greek, and we're not told anything about his father being a Christian. So a Jewish mum and a Greek dad, um, what does that make Timothy? Well, he's, he's half Jew, he's half Gentile. 
But from a Jewish perspective, he's Jewish. He's Jewish. And yet, he is not circumcised. So what does that make him? That makes him an apostate Jew. An apostate Jew. Worse than a Gentile. Now, this is a uh, significant period of, um, of history because uh, this is the time when uh, Gentiles, in fulfilment as we saw a couple of weeks ago of Amos chapter 9, uh, when Gentiles uh, started to hear the good news about Jesus and were believing and were putting their trust in Israel's God and making it that Israel's God was their God. And some Jewish Christians found this a little bit difficult to process that Gentiles were now becoming Christians. Uh, in fact, in Acts chapter 15, some of the uh, Jewish Christians uh, were insisting that any Gentiles who trusted in Jesus would also have to be circumcised in order to be fully-fledged Christians, in order to be to be saved. Uh, in fact, they even visited um, the, the church where Paul and Barnabas were ministering in Antioch uh, with this so-called news that uh, you've got to put your faith in Jesus plus be circumcised. Um, let's have a look at that. If you go back to chapter 15, verse 1 for a moment, um, where it reads, Some men came down from Judea, like on your map it's up, but it's sloped down. Uh, they came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be, what does it say? You cannot be saved. Now this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute with them. <laughs> no surprises there. And because they're saying that you cannot be a Christian unless you've been circumcised. Now, this matter uh, then went, was referred to the church leaders in Jerusalem uh, and a council was held to discuss this, to hear about what God had been doing amongst the Gentiles and to discuss this matter of whether or not the Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to be Christians. That was the question. And check out the Apostle Peter's response in chapter 15, verse, verse 11. The Apostle Peter is emphatic. He says, no, no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Because, friends, if we must be circumcised in order to be saved then what's that saying about what Jesus has done on the cross? It's not enough. It's grace plus works. It's Jesus plus obedience to the law. It's faith plus circumcision. But the grace of the Lord Jesus is not enough to save us. And so the response from the church leaders in Jerusalem was, no, that's not the case. Gentile, no one has to be circumcised in order to be saved. 
And so the church leaders in Jerusalem, they wrote a letter which was to be um, distributed to the Gentile churches. And in the letter, uh, they, they were very warm about the fact that Gentiles were becoming Christians, but they required the Gentile Christians to do certain things. Um, uh, to refrain from sexual immorality. Well, that's, that's just a, a godliness thing, <laughs> just to remind them of that, <laughs> to refrain from sexual immorality, uh, but also to, um, to not eat certain, you know, um, certain meats, uh, certain foods. Uh, and this is actually for the sake of the unity between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, uh, that when you're sitting at the table, if you're a Gentile Christian... Uh, with your Jewish Christian friends, um, refrain from eating, eating food offered, that's been offered up to an idol. Uh, that's another big issue. And also certain foods have been um, um, strangled and so on. That actually helps table fellowship. But one of the things which they're not told that they have to do is to be circumcised. And none of this is because of being saved. Far from it. They don't have to be circumcised. However, in chapter 16, verse 3, what does Paul do to Timothy? He circumcises him. As he's delivering the letter, saying, you know, which implicitly says that no one, need, no one must be circumcised, he actually goes ahead and circumcised Timothy. Why? Well, this was purely for the sake of ministry. Because when Paul uh, visited Gentile cities, uh, he would first uh, find out if there was a Jewish community in that place and he would go and try to meet up with the Jews um, in the synagogues and he would preach the gospel first to the Jews that were living there. Now, people um, knew, the local Jews uh, knew that... Um, Timothy's mother was Jewish and his father was, was Greek and uh, word might get around about that. And so if a Jew who they're trying to preach the gospel to was to ask the question about Timothy, well, we know he's a Jew, has he been circumcised? And it's a lot easier if the answer can be yes. And so that they don't dismiss the gospel message on the basis that they consider Timothy to be an apostate Jew. That is, by circumcising Timothy, Paul has removed a barrier to people, to Jews, hearing and believing the gospel. Now, one of the principles of evangelism that we uh, discover in Paul is his flexibility. Um, He's not flexible on things which truly matter. He is totally inflexible in terms of the truth of the gospel, but he's totally flexible in terms of the things which don't matter so that people can hear the gospel without hindrance. Mind you, Timothy's flexible as well. Um, I mean, I imagine Timothy may not have been especially thrilled about the uh, thought of being circumcised, but he did so for the sake of the gospel. 
and this is something which we need to consider as well, uh, we also need to be people who are, um, who, who are flexible with things which don't matter. Uh, to be willing to put aside our own preferences, our own comforts, uh, even our own traditions, if to do so uh, makes it easier for someone else to hear the gospel. Um, the problem, of course, in, with some Christians is that there are some people who are totally flexible about the gospel and inflexible about the traditions. We've got to be the reverse to that. Now, having uh, visited the new churches and we're told there that they were greatly encouraged um, and he's now got this expanded uh, ministry team because Timothy has joined the team, Paul now expands his ministry plan. But not everyone agreed with Paul's plan. Let me read it to you from verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the province of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The man of Macedonia begged them to come over here and to help us. Now, <clears throat> um, if you're like me, this is where I get confused with the geography. Um, with all of those unfamiliar place names. So, um, and that's why I've given you a map that you can take home on your uh, bulletins there. Uh, let me try to put this as simply as, as I can. Uh, what we're talking about here is all modern-day Turkey. And basically, uh, having headed north uh, from uh, Syrian Antioch and then turned west uh, and visited the churches that were started on the first missionary journey, um, the expanded plan of Paul is to keep on going and to take the gospel even further west into virgin territory. And so in verse 6, they planned to preach the gospel in uh, what the Romans called the province of Asia, and uh, the province of Asia had cities in it such as Colossae and, and Ephesus. But God, didn't, but God had a different plan. And we're told that the Holy Spirit stopped them from doing that, from preaching in those places. And so then they, they decided, well, we'll, we'll head north. And uh, Paul wanted to uh, enter into the the province of Bithynia. But in verse 7, what happened? The Spirit of Jesus would not, let, would not allow them to enter into Bithynia. And so they've been uh, blocked in the west, uh, in the southwest. They've been blocked in the north. And so what they 
decide to do is travel west from where they are uh, and to, to the Aegean Sea, the coastline of the, of the Aegean Sea, and a city called Troas. Now, we're not told how the spirit frustrated their plans. Um, perhaps the spirit uh, used circumstances to, um, to close the opportunities. Uh, or maybe it uh, was through special words of, of prophecy. Um, we're not told the details there. <coughs> it's interesting that in terms of blocking them from entering Bithynia, that the spirit is referred to as the spirit of, of Jesus. And uh, that reminds us actually that the risen and exalted Lord Jesus is still ruling and that he actually rules and guides his people through the spirit. The important thing here is they accepted this as being God's will. They had their plan, but God's plan was different. So now they're on the coast. And when you're on the coast uh, at Troas, if you want to keep on going west, you're going to need a boat to do it. And you're going to end up in Europe if you do that, which was actually God's plan for them. Now, they had had two negative guidances in terms of being blocked, um, two negative guidances in order to navigate them to this point, and now they need the positive guidance and that's what we see in verses 9 and 10 uh, of the vision that Paul received in the night of a man of Macedonia begging him to come over to Macedonia and help us. And uh, notice that, um, uh, that after that happened, that vision was received, that uh, it says that we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What do you notice about that? The, the writer is now using the personal pronoun, isn't he? Uh, the, the, the personal pronoun in the plural, the, the, the words we and us. And what that tells us that it's at this point, it's at this point that, he, that, a, that a doctor by the name of Luke joins the team. Uh, we don't know how they met Luke. Um, uh, presumably he's been met at uh, Troas. Luke doesn't particularly want to draw attention to himself. But from here on, the narrative in Acts, um, you know, at, we'll see at various times, is talking about not Paul and not, not just Paul and not just Timothy, but we and us. Luke is involved at this point. Come over and help us. That's the cry from the Macedonian man. What is the help that Macedonian people need? What's the help that all Europeans need? What's the help which we all need? Well, we need to be saved from the judgment of God uh, through the sacrifice and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we all need. And so they concluded 
that God had called them to cross over, to enter into Macedonia and to preach the gospel. It's good to make plans, isn't it? But how do you react when uh, you've made plans and your plans are thwarted? Over the past 40-plus years of being a Christian, and many of those years in full-time ministry, there have been times when I've made some, what I think are pretty good ministry plans, which have turned out not to be God's plans. Uh, And because circumstances have changed, because doors have closed. And I've not always found that particularly easy, um, particularly in times when I've invested over a long period of time my heart and my soul uh, into making these plans and preparing myself um, for seeing those plans come to fruition. However, knowing that God is sovereign changes the way that we, we react and the way that we We live because the human response might be um, resentment. You know, we might imagine, for example, Paul um, saying, well, why did God bring us all of this way if he's just going to stop us? Uh, Or we might imagine Paul deciding to fight against it. You know, we're going to get into Bithynia no matter what. We're just going to keep on pushing and pushing and pushing. I've even heard people, um, when circumstances have met that their plans have been changed, that have blamed Satan for that. Blame Satan. I remember once a uh, scripture teacher saying to me that um, my scripture class was cancelled because there was a school athletics carnival and that's Satan. That's Satan who's done that. Whereas I'm saying, well, no, just roll with that because God's got another plan. (laughs) God's got another plan. However, uh, we may not receive a special, although we may not receive a special vision in the night, uh, what we need to do is um, keep to the bigger plan, the bigger plan of, of being godly, the bigger plan of serving God in the context of changed circumstances. And in the future, uh, we may well be able to look back and see that God had his plan and that his plan actually turned out to be a whole lot better than what we had planned if we trust him. Like Paul, like Silas, like Timothy, and like Luke who, as we'll see next week, because of God's plan, got to lead the very first people who became followers of Jesus on European soil. That's what we'll look at next week. At least that's the plan for now. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your plans are greater than our plans father because your vision is greater than our vision and father because you are sovereign over this world and over our lives we want to thank you for the gospel and we 
thank you that uh, in your plans that you brought about our salvation through something which no human would have ever planned. We thank you, Father God, that um, uh, faithful uh, people have brought that, uh, have uh, been bold in trusting you in carrying that gospel forward uh, from uh, Jerusalem and Judea uh, into Samaria uh, to Antioch um, to uh, Asia Minor and then even to Europe and to us. We so thank you for that. We pray that we would be men and women who are bold for the gospel and uh, who trust uh, not just in the plan, don't just trust in the plans that we make, but trust in you to guide us and to direct us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.